Welcome to another edition of With Stone Art. My name is Kyle Taylor. With me is Luke Velasco. Luke, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yourself, Kyle? And I know we were having some technical difficulties. Did those get resolved on my sound? It sounds great. It sounds great. Right at the right at the cut. Um, so it's perfect. Seems like each time it's not really technology unless you have a, a little bit of a you know, technology error, right? But, but welcome back, dude. How have you That's been? That's absolutely correct. I've been great, you know, and, and technology problems are kind of like supply chain problems right now. You know, it's part of the game. You just gotta, you just gotta learn to, to live with it and dodge the bullets. And when those, when those problems arise, you, you just gotta, you just have to address them. Um, but I'm good, Kyle. You know, we're, we're almost halfway through Q4. Is that, can you believe that right now? You know, like, and a ride has been this year. Got a lot of crazy things going on. I'm going to do a little traveling around the holidays. Um, might even take a day off or two. We'll see. I don't know. What time will tell? But <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's awesome. No, you're exactly right. I was actually I made a joke to a, a large Fortune 100 company the other day, and I was like, "Hey, I think we're one week away from the halfway point of Q4. Can you believe that?" And they're like, "Kyle, please stop. <laughs> don't don't remind us because this this quarter seems to it seems like just." A week or two ago, it was the end of Q3, and now we're almost halfway through Q4. No, it's been wild, and you know what have we had with it? We've had uh, earnings from a lot of the logistics companies are starting to come out, obviously, as to be expected. A lot of great uh, companies are beating expectations. Um, additionally, a lot more logistics or, or shippers are also coming into the industry and saying, you know, we need to take control over this. I think one of the biggest things, and Luke, I'd love to kind of hear your perspective of this, American Eagle. American Eagle Outfitters acquires a logistics company so that they can bring logistics in-house and they can manage it themselves. What do you think about that? Yeah. No, honestly, I think I think it's a strategic move. Um, I, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm honestly surprised that hasn't happened more often. And it and does happen in other companies, right? PepsiCo kind of has their own uh, 3PL or 4PL arm underneath them, right? So it, it does happen um, as well. If you've ever worked with Pepsi Logistics, you know, in the logistics side, you know what I mean. We, we worked with them a little bit back in my, in my brokerage days. And um, so there, there are a couple of shippers out there that have that. Obviously, Walmart has their own quite massive fleet. There's Amazon Logistics. So I think we're going to potentially see that happening more as shippers will want to take better control of their logistics operations as opposed to being so overly reliant on other companies. Um, and it could potentially become another revenue generating source, right? I mean, think about it. That logistics arm services you during your peak seasons. And when you don't have enough business to keep that logistics arm busy, you they can acquire their own customers, right? So it, it can potentially be a win. But time will tell, of course, right? I don't know how it'll work out. Is there a critical mass size shippers have to reach in order to, to achieve or get that return on the investment from those logistics arms? That'll be that'll be an interesting interesting place to be, right? No, exactly right. And to your point, I mean, who else do we have? Ashley Distribution Services has their own private yep. fleet of trucks and logistics uh, department. Um, you know, not just Pepsi, but look, go to the other side of the aisle: Coca Cola, Red Classic. Um, so you have yep. all these companies that it. it but it, it it was interesting to see it from the outside, like acquiring in, not just something that was. You know, hey, our logistics team has become so good at their job that we think we can actually create a revenue stream around this and start outsourcing um, our services and, and our network to other companies 
um, that might be able to have impact like we've been able to realize. So that's definitely, that was what I kind of took out from all this, but let's kind of talk a little bit about what we have going on in, in, in the markets right now. And so, um, you know, we're kind of in this little bit of a standstill. I mean, it feels like demand is kind of stabilized a little bit. And, and to our teams, I know we, we have a, a map and a chart that's kind of combined, if we could throw that up um, for, for our, our viewers here so that we can see kind of where we're at in the current marketplace. And, and so once we get that kind of up, it'll kind of give us kind of an understanding of where we compared to last week and how this is going to maybe relate to, to um, you know, where the overall demand is for the transportation industry. And so, but while we're kind of getting yeah. that up, what are, you know, what are you hearing? What's something that's kind of peaking your ears that maybe, um, you know, last time we were on here, it, it didn't, uh, it, you know, something that we weren't really dealing with. So I think something that's really interesting to me is the, um, that I'm keeping an eye on right now is you, you talk about how demand is stabilizing. I'm almost expecting demand to decrease a little bit in the coming months, not fall off a cliff, not go down to where the levels were maybe two years ago, but I do expect them to come down a little bit. And the biggest signal that I'm looking to for that is ocean imports, particularly on the booking side. I'm not looking at customs data because that's too far behind of a lagging indicator. So I'm looking at customs data, uh, inside of Sonar. And that gives us the ability to actually look almost a month or more ahead of what will actually end up showing up in customs data. So it gives us an idea on where the direction is. You know, if you think about it, almost 70% of truckload volume, particularly on the van side, moves via ship at some point in time or another. So, and I'm starting to see imports come down a lot. We might take a look at that chart later today, but um, you know, I think we're, we're going to start to see that trickle into the truckload market, right? That chart that you have there on the right, that blue line is year-to-date truckload volume. As you can see, it's not really pushing higher. It's maintaining. It is maintaining, right? It, it's holding steady, as you put it, and I think you put it quite well. But my question is, if imports, if those bookings continue to remain at, at lower levels, and when I say lower levels, right, it's not like they're low. They're just lower than where they have been. They've come down by double digit percentage points from their high, okay? So you have less demand coming in than what we have traditionally been seeing this year. So because of that, right, there's eventually that trickle down effect will happen and the, the truckload market will catch up to so that demand, the capacity will catch up and we should start to see truckload demand fall. Again, all this assumes that that import volume main, continues to remain or trickle down at the pace that it is. Um, but it could take time for that to happen here, right? You know, I mean, how, how long do you think an impact like that would happen, right? If, if, if imports go down, how long until you think that we are actually start to see that in truckload volume, Kyle? Well, I mean, so exa exactly to your point. So uh, the, the one piece that I try to look at when I start thinking of, of that is, you know, how much time it takes to get from one point to the next. So depending on that, so, you know, on an, in a normal time going from somewhere like Shanghai to um, the port of L.A., you know, we were thinking somewhere between 18 to 25 days and to the point now where, OK, that that vessel may get there um, in that time frame. But now we're actually looking at, uh, you know, weeks of just being at anchor, standing in line in order to get through. So that's some of the data that's not really out there. I mean, yes, we can see who's at anchor, but we're not really saying, OK, how long is it taking you to get through the line? Um, and so that's something that right. I know a lot of shippers that I'm talking to are trying to look at is like, OK, well, when I'm trying to buy, well, I'm okay if 
I'm using the slowest carrier out there. Like if it takes 90 days for on average for a container to get over, that's fine. But if it's, if it's consistently 90, you can prepare for that. But when you're used to 25 days for it to get onto a chassis, uh, and then all of a sudden it's now 45 days, well, that's when we start losing out on efficiencies and all those, um, you know, the, the throughputs, not even just at the ports, but how these DCs are built, all these workers, thousands of workers at some DCs could be displaced if products aren't there for them to try to put together. Um, so with a lowering of that, I would definitely see that um, it would help initially. I think you'd, you'd probably feel that in the port. I don't think you'd see really any decrease in demand. You may actually see a little bit of the rail start to move up because now we're getting to the point that if you're booking containers now, it's not for retail season. It's for inventory in Q1. And so that's what I'm thinking about with, with what's happening now. Because remember that rule of thumb, if, if you wanted a container here um, for a retail season, you needed to get there before you know October 1. That thing needed to have left the port before October 1. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, so I think we do, you know, and Q1 normally has a, a, a softening um, to it. And, and so that's where I see it's just pro probably going to help us. You probably see rates and uh, deflate a little bit. Um, so you probably see some, some brokers capitalize on that. You see some carriers and probably wanting to, uh, uphold their agreements more. We'll see attendant rejection start to come down. Um, meanwhile, you'll see care or shippers wanting to, to rebid. So you kind of have the whole gamut and that's kind of what everyone's been waiting for. I mean, how many shippers last year, Luke, did you, did you talk to where they were saying, you know, we're going to push off this bid until like summer. And that's when we're going to capitalize, you know, the, the lowering cost, which never happened. So, you know, that, that's kind of how I see things potentially happening going into 2022. Yeah, I, I think you're correct. And, and there, there's obviously a challenge with that. You know, I, I kind of see it's, it's, kind of, it, it's very relatable to, in the stock market, the dollar cost averaging, right? You know, if you think about dollar cost averaging in the stock market, right? Let's say you're, you're trying to buy an ETF into the S&P 500. You don't know when the price is going to be tomorrow. You don't know if the price today is the lowest year is, that it's ever going to be from now until some point in the future. You don't know if it's going to drop tomorrow. Dollar cost averaging basically in, in, says that I will buy, continue to buy regardless of where the price is at because I know that over the long run, the price is going to go up and I'll come out on top. Same thing if it starts to drop, that's okay. I'm going to keep buying more. It makes my average go down and I come out better on top. Um, and, I, and I think bidding, we have to start thinking about bidding freight in a similar regard you don't really know whether pricing is going to go up you don't know if pricing is going to go down especially shipper and, and it shouldn't really matter that that much to you um, because it's out of your control of course you probably want it to go down or you want it to remain stable so you can easily budget but the reality is that i think if we get into these shorter cycles of okay well this month i paid more than i wanted to the next month i paid less than I had budgeted. So we're, we're, we're coming back on top. The, the reality is these big swings of the pendulum that go left and right are, I think a lot of times folks are always waiting for those. They're trying to time the market. I see carriers trying to do that. I see shippers trying to do that. Sometimes it, it you know kicks them in the toe and sometimes it works out. But the reality is we, we need to kind of think more consistently of like, this is just where it is. Hey, we're gonna, it, it's out of our favor today. Tomorrow, it'll be in our favor. So we just keep moving freight not trying to worry too much about when's the best time to lock in everything that's going to happen. You just right. need to be able to recognize when the pendulum switches in your favor and maybe you double down for a little while. Um, no, exactly. So that, that's, always no, that's spot on. 
No, that is, that is absolutely spot on. So let's get into a little bit of some of the other data that we got here. So we're going to bring up Atlanta to Chicago. And interestingly enough on this, you know, Sonar, you know, gets really known for our tender data, right, Luke? Like everyone and their mother knows our tender data. You know, yep. we, we can really get an understanding of what supply and demand is. But what people lack to know, and it's just because they, they just don't know, is that we actually have a ton of other data to support not only the trucking market, but the intermodal market. And so what we're bringing up here, Luke, is the intermodal rate. So why don't you break down that kind of what do you see on this chart? And then we'll go into a little bit of uh, of background of what this means for, for our customers. Break it down for me. I can do that. And when you started saying our tender data, all I can think of now is like, you know, just give me the chicken tenders. Um, you know, Where the, give, come on, we need some tendies. Show some Sorry. tendies. Maybe we'll go we viral on like TikTok or something. Give them to us. Okay, now, uh, uh, so chart on the left, right? Look at that big pop. That's about a 30% pop there um, over the course of a week. So intermodal rates, okay? These are 53-foot intermodal containers. These are the door all-in rates. So that's 214 you see there. That's the rate per mile, inclusive of the fuel, door-to-door, everything from Atlanta to Chicago on average, right? Some people are probably paying more, some are paying less. So that's the average rate, all right? So a 30% pop. Uh, week over week, which is absolutely incredible. Now, if you can look at the chart on the right here for a second, that's the total outbound domestic rail container volume that are of empty containers going from Atlanta to Chicago. So we noticed also week over week, cont- empty containers, those are specifically empty, went down, meaning there is less supply to move the freight that you need, okay? So before there were a lot more empty containers, now there's less empty containers moving. Pretty, go back to economics 101, right? Supply and demand. There is now less supply to move freight, intensifying or implying that there's more demand. So the rates went up. Um, a really big pop, be specific. I'm curious to see, I, I would have expected maybe um, a single digit percentage pop, like five, six, seven, eight percent, but it was right. uh, 30%. Maybe some folks are really trying to secure capacity. I'm in, I'll be interested to see where the updates go next week. No, exactly. And so seeing that big drop off and then kind of spike right back up. So you see intermodal rates, you know, really softening. And while at the same time, you saw the the uptick of, of domestic empties. So just like what we think about with capacity, if you're thinking of like our head haul index or just looking at where supply takes demand or where demand takes supply. And and so, you know, it makes a lot of sense as to, to look at these to see, OK, well, now that we're seeing this huge uptick in, in domestic containers moving from Atlanta to Chicago. That just tells me there's a lot, there's a, they're, they're preparing for something. They're looking at right. the empties is always a great indicator for preparation. If you're looking at it from the international containers, same thing. Well, they wouldn't be sending these containers to Chicago just to go hang out, you know, go throw them on a, on a barge somewhere. No, they're, they're putting them up there because there's a lot, there's good, potentially a lot of demand coming up. And then what did we see? We saw that massive uptick in intermodal rates. So it just made so much sense that that uh, we're, we're seeing that happen. And as domestic empties start to come down, as we saw, right, you know, it's already down from its peak. So, you know, as I look at that, you know, for brokers, we got to, you know, it's loosening capacity. So we're, we're yeah. you know, we're bringing capacity up. And, and so from there, looking at the domestic containers when negotiating with carriers, stress that, you know, you can see these domestic containers moving, and that'll be an easier market for the van carriers to get reloaded. So, you know, that's, that's how you're kind of utilizing, all right, what is the health like on that lane for, for the international or for the domestic containers is kind of how I see things. 
I'll tell you what's not on those containers is PlayStation 5s. <laughs> they won't have none of those. Yeah. <laughs> I, I bet you there's no Jordans on there either. No, there's uh, PlayStation Definitely 5s are, are getting bought. Um, for some reason, FedEx is getting a bad rap because there's a ton of shoes that are just happening to go missing. And and so yeah. we don't know where they went. <laughs> Um, show me the show me the money, man. I guess just maybe they had to, maybe they had the room for all that uh, new Braves uh, World Series uh, apparel. Um, so well, what you're gonna see is probably in like third third world country or underprovished areas are gonna be all of these Houston Astros, you know, World Series memorabilia because you know they had to buy both, right? So <laughs> where are they gonna right. put that that other one? <laughs> so yeah, it, I've I've heard wild. of a lot of that before. But they gotta they gotta move the freight some somewhere. I'm just saying though. I mean, what they do? Would they win last night? Seven zero was the score. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty, yeah. pretty. Did you watch the game? Did you watch the whole game? I watched up until they uh, it became six zero, and then I went to bed. Then you had enough. Like this yeah. one's in the bag. Yeah, they're done. R.I.P. Now, were you were you rooting for the Braves or? I was. Didn't have a so dog I in the was. Fight? So I mean. Everyone wants, I didn't have a dog in the fight. I was a Rays guy. So like my Rays, you know, went out early in a blaze of glory. And, uh, but I, I, I can assume everyone except for one of our fellow Sonar sales reps was cheering. Everyone was America versus Houston is essentially what it was. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I didn't really have a dog in the fight, but uh, a lot of my family is pretty gung-ho Atlanta, although they're from Atlanta. So, like, they're, like, true true Atlanta Braves fans, and they've been waiting for this one for a long time, let me tell you. Yeah. So, um, so that, they were they were excited to see that, of course, and, and to go off on, on, on a nice, quite a nice win, um, which is basically, I mean, the Braves are celebrating tonight, you know, which is basically what we do every day at Freeways. We just celebrate all the time, so. Essentially, um, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's 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 really no different. Although, um, but anyways, to get back on track here, we were just talking about Chicago and Atlanta. I think we talk we got to talk Chicago to Denver, right? We got a lot of Chicago here, right? So there yeah, we, we still go. got we got a, still got a lot here. Let's go. Let's let's talk about this. So so talk to me here. So it looks like we got we're looking at truckload here. We got rates and we got tender rejections on the left. Kyle, break it down. All right. So we partnered with truckstop.com. Truckstop gives us their top 100 lanes for band reefer flatbed for all in rates, rate per mile and volume. And so what we were able to do with that is really look at the tender, our tender data. So throw some tendies at it. So we got some van tender projections in green for Chicago. And then we're looking at Chicago to Denver, the average seven day um, over the past seven days, rate per mile from truckstop.com. And that's going to be in blue. And so what we're actually seeing here is a ton of volatility. And as you can see it on both sides, the rate and tender rejections. And, and so really, you know, tender rejections have always kind of preceded uh, spot rates. And so you can actually see that, um, you know, a little bit, that, that big increase to about $3.63 that's happened over the past couple of days, really coming off of that, uh, you know, big, uh, big swing that we saw there in the green line for van tender rejections out of Chicago. Now keep that in mind that the green line does take care of all of Chicago. So not just looking at Chicago to Denver. So it gives you kind of a perspective of, you know, that specific lane compared to the greater market of, of what that econ- kind of, you know, uh, freight economy is looking like, um, which gives you a, a really good signal, as we like to call it, so that you can understand, okay, well, when we start to see this volatile swing, especially 
going to Denver. Denver is not much of a, a great market these days. It was kind of in the peak of COVID. But now uh, going from a great market to a, a market like Denver is kind of like a backhaul lane. And so you're just kind of assuming that um, you're, you're not going to get that great of a rate going in. So that's where looking at these tender rejections on those kind of backhaul lanes is really critical because profitability is already at front of mind. So if we can make an, an extra couple dollars, if we can make an extra couple of 50 bucks because I saw tender rejections were peaking. And so I know if I'm going to go into Denver, um, you know, going out of Chicago and Chicago is kind of blowing up with, with freight that's being rejected. I need to know that. And that's, what's going to allow me to, as a broker, make more money, you know, keep the, yeah. keep those tendies in your pockets, you know? Absolutely. Right. And look at the tender rejection rates spiking going out of Denver there on that right chart. The blue line, it was up yeah. to the right, almost 28%, I think is what that said. No, that's exactly right. There yeah, it is. So as there we, yeah, so break down the chart on the right for us. What are we looking at? So now we're now we're shifting to just Denver. Right, so we were Chicago to Denver on the left. Now we're just looking at what's getting out of Denver right now on the right. So minus tender rejections. Now we all know, right, as tender rejections go up, basically it signifies that shippers are having a lot of routing out failure. Their contracted providers are not able to handle the capacity. So it pushes a lot of that demand to the spot market to search for capacity. So in other words, blue line goes up, demand for the spot market goes up, rates are gonna go up. Blue line goes down, demand for spot market goes down, rates go down. In this case, blue line is up and to the right, almost at 28%, which is incredibly high. And then the um, uh, the yellow line is the lead time. All right, so right now, yellow line on average, three you're getting three days notice from your shippers in order to move the loads. And that's, that's actually pretty high, three, three full days notice, but you know, tender rejection is at 28%. Basically, the way I look at it, if you're a truck, Denver's actually not so bad right now. And we don't typically say that because Denver's typically rough, but right now it's not so bad. Um, and, if, and, I, but, and if you're a broker out of Denver, I would expect to have to pay a lot more than what you were paying last week to get a truck. Um, especially yeah, if your exactly. shippers are giving you less than three days notice, which is another thing for shippers. If you're giving your providers less than three days notice out of Denver right now, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're going to be in a really bad spot compared because a lot of that capacity is being committed with at least three days notice. So if you're giving less notice than that, you're, you're, you're behind the eight ball and not in a good way. No, and it could also work for a carrier as well. So when you, when you think of like dispatchers, um, like we're working with a ton of dispatchers, companies that are just looking at, all right, how do we position trucks a little bit better? How do we understand where to put these trucks? And you are going into Denver, looking at that tender lead time can actually give you a really good understanding of, all right, well, this truck is about four days out. I need to make sure this is covered right. by tomorrow or else we're going to be kind of in some trouble here. Um, and, and similarly for, for that, for the brokers, for the, for your capacity team, the guys that are talking directly to the carriers. All right, well, you don't just let this sit on the load board because you know, you got five days to cover it, you know, cover it. Once you get past three days, then you, you, you know, it's going to become more volatile. And so if it's one of those day freights, that's, that's what, you know, day of kind of, uh, kind of loads, that's really where you, my, my ears would be buzzing and be like, I really need to get this covered because most people get three days. And so I'm assuming that capacity is going to be extremely tight because of that. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and something too here, I know we're getting into the final couple of minutes, uh, uh, this week of sonar. But um, you know, it's actually just to just to jump ahead here a little bit, give a little give a little foreshadowing of what's to come because next Ooh. week we don't have with sonar, okay? A little foreshadowing. Next tell week me we why, don't Luke, have with sonar because we have our F three event, okay? It is virtual. 
but it's going to be a big deal. There's going to be so many players in the market are going to be, you know, sharing all their awesome things, keynote speakers, everything you're going to want to tune in. It's next week, I believe Monday and Tuesday, maybe Wednesday a little bit, double checking on that for sure. Tuesday, but we are making one of the biggest releases that we have ever made to Sonar next week. So we won't get to show it to you because F3 is going on, but we will show it to you the next week. So if you don't, if you miss it on F3 next week, tune in the following Wednesday and Luke and Kyle will break it down for you. But all I can say is if you move freight, you're going to want this tool. Well, if you move it. truck freight specifically. If you move, if you move air freight, I, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I got nothing. But anyways, we're getting close here towards yeah. the end of time. Uh, been a pleasure. We'll see you not next Wednesday. That's F3. Tune in for that. We'll see you the following Wednesday where we'll talk about some good updates. Congratulations if you're a Braves fan and we'll have a fantastic rest of your day. Take care.